Welcome to Skim This. We're heading into the final days of summer, but the FDA has its eye on another COVID winter. We're breaking down what you need to know about the new booster shots that could be available as soon as next week. This is not your old vaccine. Just consider this a complete refresh and a true upgrade. Also on the show, we've got the week's other big headlines, from UN inspectors on the ground in Ukraine to an unfolding water crisis in Mississippi. Plus, we'll tell you why the U.S. is still trying to shoot for the moon, over 50 years since we first landed on it. We're here to make you smarter and the news less overwhelming. I'm Alex Carr. Let's skim this. Let's start with some headlines from the week's news and give you some context on why they matter. First up, we're taking a look at what's going on in Ukraine. A team of inspectors is heading to a nuclear power plant in Russian-occupied territory. Shelling at the plant has continued, and they're concerned about a possible disaster. After weeks of fighting around the nuclear power plant in Zaporizhia, Ukraine, a team of United Nations nuclear inspectors made the perilous trip to the front lines of the war. They're on a mission to keep the plant safe and assess damage caused by fighting nearby. The inspectors got there this morning, just as shelling caused one of the nuclear reactors to go offline. And that's not the first time the plant's safety has been potentially compromised. In March, Russia took control of the nuclear complex, but Ukrainian engineers have still been operating the plant. Earlier this summer, shelling started a fire on the premises, and just last week, conflict temporarily knocked the nuclear plant offline. So it seems like someone's been playing with way more than fire here. And both Ukraine and Russia have been pointing fingers at each other over who's responsible. Cue international concern about potential nuclear catastrophe. Things got so dire that UN inspectors asked to take a look, and Russia and Ukraine both finally agreed to grant them access. As the 14 inspectors start their work to assess damages, world leaders are pushing to establish a demilitarized zone around the plant in the hopes of de-escalating conflict and reducing risk. And speaking of the United Nations, this week the UN released a long-awaited report that accuses China of committing human rights violations against Uyghur Muslims and other minorities. And it's calling on China to release individuals arbitrarily deprived of their liberty, saying the country may have committed crimes against humanity. But while that sounds like some tough talk from the UN, Human rights advocates aren't sure it'll translate into anything, since any further action would depend on China's cooperation. For our next headline, let's look at a growing crisis unfolding a little closer to home. An American capital city does not have the water to bathe children, to cook, or even flush the toilets. The water hasn't been drinkable for weeks, and now for most residents, there's almost none at all. More than 150,000 people in the capital of Mississippi don't have access to reliable running water. So how did this happen? Well, the main water treatment plant failed after torrential rainfall affected the treatment system. And it turns out the area's water system has had problems for years, and residents had already been under a boil water notice since July, 
recent flooding and rainfall was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back. In response to this crisis, Mississippi Governor Tate Reeves called the National Guard in to help distribute water bottles as crews worked to get the treatment facilities up and running. Residents waited in lines more than a mile long for the chance to get water. But according to CNN, the city ran out after distributing only 700 cases. Also this week, President Biden made a federal emergency declaration on Tuesday, which allows the Department of Homeland Security and FEMA to step in and help with relief efforts. And some much-needed positive news. On Wednesday, Governor Reeves said he hopes water services can be restored sometime this week. All right, for our next headline, let's leave the South and head over to Alaska. Democrat Mary Potola defeating Sarah Palin in this special election for Alaska's House seat. We finally got the results of Alaska's special House election. And the winner is Democrat Mary Peltola, who defeated former Alaska governor and 2008 VP contender Sarah Palin. Peltola is now the first Alaska native elected to Congress. But besides the fact that this election made history, people are paying attention to the results for other reasons. Like the fact that Alaska's only House seat hasn't gone to a Democrat in 50 years. So flipping it was kind of a big deal. And overall, Democrats are feeling more optimistic about their chances in the midterms, as recent primary elections have shown voters supporting Democratic agenda items, like reproductive rights. Some political analysts also see this election as a rebuke of former President Donald Trump. Reminder, Alaska is a deep red state, and Trump voiced support for Palin's candidacy. Her loss in her home state with Trump's support could signal that voters aren't looking to Trump for cues on who to vote for. But it might be too soon to read the tea leaves on this one. It's still TBD whether that pattern will continue as voters head to the polls in November. All right, for our final headline, let's turn to the business world. Bed Bath & Beyond is planning to close about 150 stores and lay off 20% of their staff. The breaking news, Snap is reportedly planning to lay off approximately 20% of its more than 6,400 employees. Two companies that remind us of college, Bed Bath & Beyond and Snapchat, announced they're making some big changes this week. Bed Bath & Beyond will be closing around 150 locations nationwide and laying off 20% of its employees. Earlier this year, the company got the meme stock treatment. Think GameStop and AMC, which gave its stock a boost. But experts say that considering the company had a 25% drop in sales during their first quarter, meme stock support might not be enough to keep the retailer afloat. Not good news for your local mall or your mom who's still obsessed with shopping there. Over in the tech world, Snap, aka Snapchat's parent company, announced that it's laying off 20% of its workforce. That's more than 1,200 people. The move comes as Snap stock has dropped more than 75% since the beginning of the year. That's quite the disappearing act. Now, CEO Evan Spiegel says the company is restructuring to focus on community growth, revenue growth, and augmented reality while dialing back plans it had with big digital stars. So if you're looking for your influencer fix, stick to TikTok. 
Lately, we've been getting mixed signals about the COVID-19 pandemic. Tomorrow, the government is going to stop sending out free COVID tests. That move is giving COVID is over. But on the flip side, on Wednesday, the FDA authorized a new round of updated booster shots. These new vaccines specifically target Omicron subvariants and could be available as soon as next week, once the CDC gives its final sign-off. To learn more about the boosters and whether we need to roll up our sleeves a fourth time, we called up a friend of the show, Dr. Kavita Patel, a primary care physician in Washington, D.C. Dr. Patel, my first question for you is around how these boosters are different than the third shots some of us got in the winter. Specifically, what are these boosters trying to solve for? These boosters are specifically different because they were tailored for the latest variant, really BA5. It's called the BA4, BA5 bivalent booster, by BI meaning kind of covering two versions of the coronavirus. It's a one-shot booster. You don't need to take two or start the series over. And it's tailored for what we think is the latest version of the virus. And future versions of the coronavirus will likely be related to this most recent version that the booster covers. And it's both Pfizer and Moderna, right? Correct. These are both Pfizer and Moderna. The difference, Pfizer, it's 12 and above. And with Moderna, it's 18 and above. But it's still the same old technology, mRNA vaccines. So similar vaccines to what we've already received, just tailored for a different version of the virus. And do we have a sense of how effective these boosters actually are? I like to think about things in like basic chunks. So will this new version of the vaccine be effective? Yes. And I think you're asking an important question. How much more effective than what we have now? Well, the truth is we don't really know. We have a lot of non-human data. So we have to rely on animal data, but it is a good proxy for an increase in antibodies that do work on the newer variants. So we believe it will be more effective. We don't know by how much. But then here's the trade-off. We don't have the human data right now. And I think you're asking, you know, could this actually help in preventing like symptomatic infection, for example? We know about preventing hospitalizations and death. That's very important. And I think we're all anxiously waiting to see some of that human data that will take time to see if it prevents infections. In the meantime, I would recommend that everyone who can to get this updated booster, don't go running out to get it the day after it's available if you can't find an appointment. But plan on getting it so you can get ahead of what might be a fall or winter surge with a newer version of coronavirus. You mentioned that we have a lot of animal testing mm -hmm. data right. for these boosters, but not a lot of human testing data. Can right. you explain to me why it seems like this process might have been expedited or done differently than previous COVID shots and also whether or not people should be concerned about an expedited rollout? So it might help to remind people, because there's so many headlines and, and so much noise to your point, that the United States actually originally planned for a 
booster that was tailored for BA1. If you'll recall, it feels like everything is happening like in, in dog years. Like it feels like forever when the original Omicron wave hit us in November, December of 2021. But we really thought that kind of BA1, you know, that first variant off of Omicron was going to be the one that we would have to tailor new vaccines for. So we actually have a lot of data, including human data from trials for that BA1 booster. But what happened since then, Omicron kept changing. And so then the FDA decided several months ago to pivot to using the BA5 formula for this newer variant to, quote, match the circulating virus. By the way, this is a different approach than the World Health Organization recommended and what Europe is doing, which is using a BA1 booster. The FDA made this decision because they wanted to match the most recent circulating variant. And that's why we had to rely on animal data. So the good news, the FDA is used to doing this. It's actually what we use for the annual flu shot around the world. The trade-off is we have a much more updated booster that matches as best as we can the most recent circulating variant, and we rely on animal studies. Or we have to actually require the human data for the updated vaccines, but probably severely lag in time with the variant that's circulating. It's the equivalent of having, I've got an Apple iPhone version 13. It would be the equivalent of saying, you know, we'll all settle for the version 5 when we know the 13 is out there and we could get the 13 to the entire country. I heard on the radio this morning, actually, that it's possible that these boosters might create a longer immune response in the body than previous boosters. Is that something we know or is that something we're kind of guessing? It's something that we know based on the activity of previous vaccine series. For example, the polio vaccine. Polio is a hot topic because we're seeing, unfortunately, a resurgence of polio cases. If you look at the timing for you know, how we do polio shots or how we do other types of immunizations, you'll have a primary series. And then several years later or several months later, you'll have what's considered a booster for that series. And so that last shot often helps to create what we call deeper and broader immunity. That means that it's more durable. And what people say when they say durability is that it creates memory cells that are just better at seeing infections and recognizing, oh, hey, wait a minute, that kind of looks like that coronavirus that we were trained to recognize years ago. And so it could be that this booster shot could be the last shot we need. It could be one of a yearly shot that we need. And that's, that's I think, what we're looking for. I want to pivot into eligibility and I want to get specific and talk about who is eligible for the booster shots and then the nuances around whether or not you should actually get one. We won't know exactly who is eligible until the CDC makes final decisions coming soon. But we do believe that it will be anybody ages 12 and older for Pfizer who have not received a shot in the last, and it's not clear if it'll be two months or three months. But you would have to, you know, have not had a booster or a vaccine and possibly even an infection in the last several months. And then you would be eligible for the booster. And then with Moderna, anyone 18 and above, same thing. And what we're looking for are specifics on, you know, will they say that the higher priority should be people above a certain age, just like we did with the fourth shots. So we think this will be broader and more Americans will be eligible basically anybody 12 and above, if you haven't had a shot in the last several months. That's what I'm recommending to patients also. Many people have been recently infected. 
CDC has given guidance that you should wait at least 30 days from the onset of your infection to get a vaccine. But I think they're going to allow for clinicians to make decisions on those recommendations as well. But kids under 12 are not eligible, right? Not in this initial kind of set of vaccines. It's quote unquote coming. And does that mean, you know, months? They hope not. The manufacturers, they hope that in the next weeks that they will have also that similar animal data as well as some initial human data that can also promote the application for under 12 in these age groups. And if someone is confused around the guidance or they're just not really sure when they should get their booster or how to think about the timing, is the best advice just like call your doctor? I'd love to tell you that that's great advice, but I'm going to get incredibly practical. I get so many calls and the last thing people want to do when they're really seeking health advice is to kind of sit on the phone and wait. So you should call your doctor because every individual has individual needs. But in general, if it has been more than three months since your last COVID shot of whatever kind, yes, you should get a booster. Dr. Patel, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. This week, NASA was shooting for the moon, literally. On Monday, the space agency was all set to send a rocket to the moon, when their plans had to come back down to Earth at the last minute, thanks to engine troubles. But the countdown for liftoff is still on, because the launch has been rescheduled to take place on Saturday. Wait a second, what's the rush? Haven't we already been to the moon already? Well, we'll explain why liftoff is still such a big deal, and hard to achieve in 60 seconds. One small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. That's the sound of U.S. astronauts first landing on the moon over 50 years ago. And did you know we haven't been back since the 70s? The reason why is because going to space is pricey, even without inflation. And NASA's plans can fall victim to the whims of politicians and debates over funding. But all of that hasn't stopped the agency from trying to get back out there. NASA's been rebooting its lunar program, and Monday's aborted unmanned rocket launch was supposed to be the first in a series of missions, called Artemis One, that would get moon exploration back on track. But Houston, we had a problem. The Artemis One moon mission had to stay grounded on Monday because of engine troubles. After all, this is rocket science, but NASA's hoping for a successful redo Saturday afternoon at the earliest. Still, considering we've already been to the moon, what's the rush to go back? Well, the first reason is the moon can help us understand our universe. Previous moon missions collected rocks and dust that fueled breakthroughs about Earth's relationship to the moon and Earth's own history. And scientists have been eager to get back there to see what else we can learn, especially because technology's gotten an upgrade since the 70s, so we stand to learn a lot more. NASA also says that this moon mission is just one small step towards an even larger manned mission to Mars because NASA's team would be able to test out technology for a Mars mission a little closer to home. Millions of miles closer, actually. 
P.S. If all of the goals of this trip sound a little out of this world, it turns out us Earthlings can also stand to benefit. Because space technology has also led to some amazing inventions on Earth, like insulin pumps, freeze-dried foods, and cell phone cameras. And the final reason we're still trying to shoot for the moon is it's good PR. NASA is always looking for funding, and successful missions could equal more dollars and could also inspire more young people to pursue careers in science. Not to mention, the pictures are pretty great too. So here's hoping that Artemis 1 is able to blast off on Saturday. Three, two, one. How'd we do? Want us to skim a question from the news? Send us your suggestions to audio at theskim.com. Before we go, we wanted to talk about a blast from the past. The year is 2017. The wrong Best Picture winner is declared at the Oscars. Prince Harry and Meghan Markle are engaged. And perhaps most importantly, we were all seeing movies on the cheap, thanks to a company called MoviePass. From 2017 to 2019, subscribers could see as many movies as they wanted for around $10 a month. But plot twist, MoviePass wasn't able to make the numbers work. Subscription movie ticket company MoviePass announcing it will shut down tomorrow and that it's not sure if or when it'll launch again. MoviePass failed after major theater chains launched similar monthly subscription packages. Do the execs of MoviePass have a plan for the future? Now, three years after its collapse, MoviePass is saying, I'm back. Release date, early September. To figure out what's with the Hollywood comeback and whether we can even get our hopes up this time, we called up an expert. I'm Alexandra Canal, and I'm a senior entertainment reporter at Yahoo Finance. Canal told us that this time around, even though one of the company's co-founders is back at the wheel, MoviePass has learned from its past mistakes. The financial model is going to be completely different. We are going to see three different price tiers, $10 a month, $20 a month, and $30 a month. And each tier will offer a set amount of credits that users can then, quote unquote, cash in to see different types of movies. And in this case, there's going to be no unlimited viewing option. So they learn from the past. They're not even making that an option. And what we're going to see is a sort of marketplace that allows studios and the theaters to do peak and off-peak pricing. So that's going to mean different movies will have a different amount of credits assigned to them. So if you want to see Black Panther, Wakanda Forever on a Friday night, Chances are you're going to have a lot more credits assigned to that movie than if you want to see that film on a Tuesday afternoon. And so far, MoviePass, the sequel, seems to have a lot of takers. The company says it had over 460,000 people sign up for its waitlist within 24 hours since its site got up and running. But just because the company is trying to make a comeback better than Laura Dern... I will be rich again. I will rise up and then I will squish you like the bug that you are. Doesn't mean it's nailed the timing on its relaunch. I think there are a few issues that MoviePass is going to face right off of the back. Number one, if we take a look at the box office right now, it's in recovery mode, right? Receipts are down about 31%. 
versus 2019 levels. And coupled with that decline, the outlook looks bleak uh, with the movie pipeline heading into the fall. If you think about it, the only two big movies that we have coming out the rest of this year are Black Panther, Wakanda Forever in November, and Avatar The Way of Water in December. So that is an issue. If you don't have movies that people can go and see, how are they going to justify spending money on a subscription movie service like MoviePass? And then if you take a look at some of the major theater chains, AMC, Regal, Cinemark, they're not profitable. And there's been a lot of issues on that front. Recently, Cineworld reportedly eyeing a bankruptcy filing. And that chain specifically cited the lack of big blockbusters through the fall and the impact that's going to have on attendance. So those are some things right off the bat that MoviePass is going to have to grapple with and deal with, not even mentioning the fact that we have AMC stubs and Regal has its own loyalty program where people can already get discounted tickets and discounts on concessions. Still, even though MoviePass was once the laughingstock of the entertainment industry and it's facing some serious headwinds now, everyone loves to love or loves to hate a sequel. There's certainly interest right off the bat. And I do think people that had MoviePass in the past, they have this nostalgic love for it. At the end of the day, if you talk to people that were MoviePass lovers, they do reflect on it fondly. And I think that could also be a benefit moving forward. And one final note, if you're not ready to jump back on the MoviePass bandwagon, there's still a way to get to the theaters and save some money. This Saturday is National Cinema Day, and over 3,000 movie theaters nationwide are offering $3 tickets. So pass the popcorn, which will probably be more expensive than your ticket. Thanks for listening to Skim This. This podcast was skimmed by me, Alex Carr, along with our producer, Will Livingston. We had additional help this week from Sammy Roberts. This episode was engineered by Ellie McAfee-Hahn and Andrew Calloway, and the Skim's head of audio is Graylin Brashear. Skim This will be back in your feed again next Thursday. Until then, check out the other podcasts from the Skim. 9 to 5-ish is where we talk all things career with our founders, Carly and Danielle. And Pop Cultured is our weekly deep dive into the culture stories you can't stop thinking about. Follow 9 to 5-ish and Pop Cultured wherever you're already listening to us.